This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. We could see soon new requirements at the state level on who can qualify for Medicaid. One of the big changes would be having some form of work requirement in order to gain those benefits. There are certain situations where the requirements would be waived, depending on potential various medical conditions, but the gist of the change would ask people to show that they are working or looking for work or volunteering with an organization to qualify. And this is a big shift, since Medicaid has been almost entirely based on income in the past. To discuss this, we are joined uh, on the phone by Mary Beth Musumishi, who's Associate Director of the Program on Medicaid and the Uninsured at the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation. And also joining us is David Super, who is a law professor at Georgetown University. Mary Beth, David, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you both. Uh, Your reaction, Mary Beth, I'll start with you. Your reaction to this potential change? Um, Well, First, um, it's important to note it's not a potential change. Um, CMS actually approved the first waiver of this type in Kentucky. Um, So Kentucky is going to be implementing this um, beginning this summer. Um, But overall takeaway is that this is a a significant uh, policy reversal, a fundamental change to the nature of the 50-plus year of the program. Never before has health coverage been conditioned on meeting a work requirement. David, um, it uh, this is a big change, and it is a disturbing one. Uh, running more people through the bureaucracy rather than working on improving their health or improving their employment. Uh, what is your expectation from the legal perspective uh, of what we're going to see with this? Are we could we see any challenges to this move? Oh, I don't think there's any question we will. Um, the authority to approve uh, waivers of this nature is limited to things that are advancing the purposes of the Act. The purpose of the Act is to improve people's health care and causing a lot of people to get cut off because uh, the bureaucracy can't keep track of their hours of work or can't keep track of uh, whether they have uh, conditions that exempt them from work uh, or uh, can't find them uh, a place to work off their benefits is going to cause a lot of people to cut cut off. So, and from what I understand, uh, David, this is not a, a necessarily a new idea. I guess Ohio had uh, wanted to go this route a couple of years ago, but the White House had, had cut that move off at that time, correct? Yes, um, yes, and, and on the grounds that I stated that it was inconsistent with the purposes of the Act and hence beyond their authority. Well, and Mary Beth, from what I understand and looking at, at a couple of reports uh, from states, it, it appears that a majority of Medicaid recipients are working already. There are obviously you know, quite a few the people that, that are not that are on this role, but uh, what about if between at least 40% of the people that are on Medicaid are working already, correct? 
Um, it's actually our data show that six in 10 non-elderly uh, Medicaid adults are already working and uh, about 80% are in a working family. However, I think the important thing to remember is that this re requirement affects everyone in the program because there is a requirement that you document and verify your participation on a monthly basis. And um, as we've seen um, in the cash welfare and the food stamps context, at any time you're creating a complicated administrative system, um, you're relying on information getting exchanged and making it um, to the correct place. And there's the very real risk that eligible people are at risk of losing their coverage, not because they're not uh, complying, but because um, that documentation piece didn't work properly. And that obviously would be a, a question of whether or not this, the state have the resources to be able to to uh, gather all this information and process it properly, correct? Yes, and so we've looked at um, some other states with some complicated Medicaid uh, waivers, um, like Michigan and Indiana, and you know they have some systems that require the payment of premiums and healthy behaviors and um, a number of things where um, it's pretty complicated information exchange. Um, and we did find that um, not only is there the risk of falling through the cracks, but it's also very confusing, not only for the people who are administering the system, but also the enrollees and their health care providers. You mentioned uh, Kentucky uh, passing the waiver, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, what, about a week or so ago? Uh, uh. Yes, it was the the new guidance from CMS came out last Thursday, and yeah. the Kentucky waiver was approved on Friday. There are a number of other states um, with proposals in the pipeline as that, well. That was going to be my question. Uh, what about uh, any other states that are that are close to to bringing this forward? Um, well, so we are watching Indiana. Um, so actually, Indiana was among you had mentioned Ohio, but there are a number of other states um, who had. Uh, proposed uh, work requirements as part of their original expansion waivers, and they were consistently denied, as, as David said, not being consistent with program purposes. And what some of those states like Indiana did was instead set up a voluntary referral program. So you weren't required to participate in this work referral program, but it was information and an opportunity to, to get uh, potential help with job training resources from the state. Indiana's proposal right now is asking to um, move that to a, a work requirement, and that um, is one that we're watching, as well as Arkansas, I think, are likely to be the next two coming down the pike. Um, another trend that we've seen are some states that are not Medicaid expansion states, um, so states like Maine, Mississippi, um, uh, at who are uh, Kansas, who uh, cover adults at very, very low income levels. Um, I, and we're only talking about uh, low income parents. I think in Mississippi, um, it's 26% uh, of the poverty level or somewhere close to that is the maximum that you can get to uh, receive Medicaid. And those states are uh, have proposing to require those low income parents to work to keep their coverage as well. Uh, David, just your reaction, a couple of the comments that were made by the administrator of CMS uh, talking about the fact that, you know, the reasoning uh, is to a degree because reports uh, that have that having a job leads to better health outcomes. Uh, the fact that uh, also was said that uh, uh, the hope is, is that uh, 
if people are not on uh, Medicaid, then they have potentially a job and they don't need the program anymore. When you hear those types of comments, what's your reaction? Um, I, I think it's it's divorced from reality and from the experience of these programs. Um, the uh, Medicaid is a limited benefit. It provides health care. It doesn't meet any of your basic living expenses. People already have very strong motivations to find work, and they typically are either working or looking for work uh, or unable to work for some pretty compelling reason, like a broken leg or whatever. Um, so there's simply no evidence, and, and the administrator doesn't cite to any that suggests that people are lacking motivation uh, or that threatening to cut off their health care benefits will do that. What it will do is make them go through a lot of bureaucratic hoops that will distract them uh, either from work they're already doing or from job search uh, or from uh, getting uh, whatever treatment they need uh, for conditions that are currently preventing them from working uh, that they would like to move forward on. These programs always have huge error rates uh, in terms of incorrectly sanctioned people. Um, Medicaid in particular has been way cutting back on administrative staff. There simply isn't the staff to do the kind of monitoring that's required to correctly administer a work requirement. The result's going to be a lot of very sincere, hardworking people losing coverage. Mary Beth? Um, so my understanding of the the guidance does cite a handful of studies, and my understanding is that several of them um, that the guidance says, you know, support this idea that working makes you healthier. The studies were done in European countries that have universal health care. Um, so, you know, conditioning some other public benefit on work um, in those cases, um, people still have health care. And I really think it it is fundamentally um, a chicken versus an egg problem. You know, you can also make the argument that you have to be healthy enough to work, particularly when you're talking about the types of jobs that people with low incomes are likely to get. You know, you're likely to be on your feet doing some sort of physically demanding job. Mm-hmm. Um, and importantly, our data also show that even among people who are working, they are working in industries that have low offer rates of employer-sponsored coverage or the coverage is not affordable. So, um, working in and of itself doesn't take away the need for Medicaid. To a degree, uh, Mary Beth, it it sounds like uh, we're talking about a little bit of uncharted territory here as well from the perspective of that the the states have basically run Medicaid uh, through the history of the program. Obviously, the federal government has subsidized it, but this sounds more and more like the federal government getting involved in how Medicaid is being run on a day-to-day basis. Well, so the the Medicaid program has always been governed by a set of minimum federal requirements, and then right. states, as you say, have uh, administered the program and have quite a good deal of flexibility under um, the, the just the regular program. I think this is an example of you know, um, albeit possibly extreme, um, because um, as as we've talked about, this is a 180-degree policy reversal, but different administrations have prioritized different policies. Um, and so we definitely have seen some change through the history of the program on it, you know, different emphasis on federal policy priorities in Medicaid. Um, but I, I think this situation is notable because um, the prior administration had denied uh, work requirement request as inconsistent with program objectives, and this administration has reached the exact opposite conclusion. David? Um, Yeah, this is certainly an example of 
reaching out and, and hijacking a program to, to serve different ideological purposes. Uh, there certainly are plenty of things the federal government can do uh, to promote work. Uh, this has not been part of uh, Medicaid uh, since its inception. Uh, Medicaid is a complicated program with a lot of difficult work to do, and this is making it more complicated uh, to serve other purposes. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We are joined on the phone by Mary Beth Musumishi, who is with the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, David Super, who is a law professor at Georgetown University. Again, the way for you to join in is 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Under this new proposal, Mary Beth, what are the groups that would be supposedly exempt uh, from losing coverage in this? Well, so I think that an important question is who on paper should be exempt and then who actually is able to prove that exemption status. Um, But in Kentucky, um, the people who are determined to be what's called medically frail um, should be exempt. People with disabilities should be exempt. Um, Full-time students should be exempt. And they will exempt one full-time caregiver per household. So that can be a caregiver of a minor child um, or an adult with a disability. And the impact of having those people in that category obviously is important for a variety of different reasons, correct? Well, yes, because these are all people that are not working because they have a, a good reason to not do so or another responsibility that prevents them from doing so. But um, they still will have to verify their exemption status and then um, – there's, there's actually very little detail in the waiver about how that process will actually work, um, who will make the decision, how the decision will be made, what kinds of documentation will be required. And those are really important details to be able to understand um, how the program will impact enrollees. You mentioned earlier uh, food stamps and, and welfare, and I guess to a degree this, this seems like Uh, a move to try and make Medicaid more similar to those programs, correct? Yes, and the the Secretary's uh, guidance um, exactly speaks to that. It talks about states aligning with their welfare and food stamps programs, and that stands in contrast to what the Affordable Care Act did, which sought to move Medicaid. It grouped it with the other health coverage programs to make it more like the marketplace and Medicare and a real move toward an emphasis on enroll or enrollment simplification, electronic verification, so moving away from this idea that you constantly have to document um, and have paperwork. And the research has shown that simplified and streamlined enrollment systems help retain eligible people in coverage. Is, is, Is the concern over the documentation and the process of actually going through this, is it one of the main concerns by a lot of people who are worried about how this this change could play out, Mary Beth? Well, I mean, I think the main concern is the risk that eligible people will lose coverage, and the documentation and verification is a big part of that. David? Uh, Yes, I think so. But also the food stamp so-called work requirement that is is referenced in uh, the the 
administration's guidance does not require that people be offered a chance to work. In other words, it does not just cut off people who refuse to work. It cuts off people who are unemployed for more than three months, uh, even if they're looking for work and uh, unable to find it and would be willing to work off their benefits if offered the chance. And and that's another concern uh, that states will either be very sloppy in giving people opportunities to work for their benefits or they won't give them any at all. And there's absolutely nothing in the guidance uh, that the administration put out that suggests uh, any uh, protections to make sure that we don't cut off people who are trying to find work but just are not able to find things perhaps because they don't have good skills. Mary Beth, you mentioned the, the Kentucky uh, changes. Uh, and if memory serves me, you said that they those would probably be uh, implemented sometime in the summertime, correct? The, the waiver has a target implementation date of July 2018. And just to, to uh, build off of David's last point, it's also very important, I think, to note that the guidance itself says that states cannot use Medicaid dollars to fund employment supports. So things like um, you know, subsidized child care, transportation assistance, um, English as a second language, other job training needs, all of the various things that we know are barriers to uh, work for people who aren't working but would like to, that money cannot come from Medicaid according to the guidance. It has to come from somewhere else. And so that's a big open question. And and does this become uh, more complicated? Again, even though the funding element uh, is coming from both uh, the state and the federal government, the fact that a variety of states are, are, are dealing with funding issues right now on a variety fronts and, and to be able to to potentially add to this problem uh, seemingly would would uh, would complicate the matters well states do have to balance their budgets each year um, so that is a, definitely a consideration and also um, the existing uh, you know job training programs workforce support programs subsidized child care programs are very frequently considered uh, to be underfunded um, or may have waiting lists and so the guidance talks about referring people to available resources, um, but I, I think a big question is whether the, the existing resources are available to serve this uh, new population who's going to be coming in. We are talking with Mary Beth Musumishi, who is with the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, David Super of Georgetown University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I would imagine, Mary Beth, that uh, the the other states uh, that uh, potentially would be looking for uh, a waiver uh, are probably in the process of getting that paperwork to try and get it approved as soon as they can. So time is of the essence in this, correct? Well, so actually there are nine states that already have applications submitted and waiting with CMS than a number of other states, you know, in the last week since the guidance came out. Um, there have been some announcements that other states are interested in in looking at this. Um, but Arkansas, Arizona, Indiana, Kansas, Maine, Mississippi, New Hampshire, Utah, and Wisconsin already have their paperwork in. And how many people are, are we talking about potentially being impacted by this uh, this change here? Um, so that really depends uh, by state. Um, 
So Kentucky, for example, in its application estimates that about 95,000 people would lose coverage um, as a result of the waiver implementation. And now it's also important to note that the Kentucky waiver includes the work requirement. It also includes a number of other complicated policies um, like being locked out of coverage for failing to pay your premiums, being locked out of coverage for failing to renew your eligibility on time or to report a change on time. So there's um, work is a piece of it, but there's a number of complex interlocking provisions that will impact people here. Uh, David, but again, to be able to try and put this type of a program forward, we need to have uh, an unbelievable level of of, uh, of 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 conjunction put forward in terms of getting things done right and, and done properly. And uh, unfortunately, the state and the federal government doesn't exactly have a history that we're we should expect that we would see any kind of you know of uniform uh, push ahead. Correct. Uh, no, we, we, we shouldn't. Um, the states have been having um, uh, severe cutbacks in staffing. They've been working to make the system, as, uh, as was mentioned, even more automated. Um, and you can't automate these things because they require individual determinations. They've been closing local offices, so there isn't going to be an eligibility worker to see someone hobble in with a broken leg and recognize that they shouldn't be cut off for failing to work. Um, the, the performance of the state and federal governments has been very much in the opposite direction, and that's leaving aside the automation problems, the phone lines you can't get through on, and so on. And again, your, your expectation is we will see some sort of, of challenges to these, these changes. How do you think that would play out? Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's impossible to predict, but I think that the argument here is pretty strong. I think the, the purpose of this statute is to give people health care coverage and cutting off um, the tens of thousands of people uh, is going to be very hard to reconcile with that purpose. Um, I also think that a lot of these things, including the Kentucky one, are clearly being done on the cheap. Uh, and even if one believed that it somehow was consistent with the purpose of the statute, to get a test of this concept, um, most of the proposals that have been put in uh, are so um, limited uh, in in their funding and in their uh, organization that I doubt they would provide any useful information. Mary Beth, though, it would be the state then that would have the final say in terms of who qualifies and who doesn't, correct? Um, so the state would administer the program. Um, CMS has a role, uh, the federal government has a role to oversee the program, and there's some reporting that's required to go on. Um, but there's, we're seeing in, in the Kentucky example, um, a, a l- less federal oversight potentially than in waivers that were approved um, you know, prior, in, like, for example, in Indiana and Michigan. And what I mean by that is the waiver says that the state can choose whether or not to submit operational protocols to the federal government for their review and approval. And it's really, you know, a typical classic devil in the details type of situation. It's it's not the waiver rules uh, writ large that are going to make the difference, but actually how this, these processes, which are very complex, are implemented. That's what's going to be in those operational protocols. Um, and they're it's up to the state whether they seek CMS uh, input on that or not. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Mary Beth. Thank you, David. Wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you Thanks both. Thank you very much. Thank you both.
For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.